Did you know that a sea turtle can lay as many as 120 eggs? And it's a good thing because only one in 1,000 sea turtles will actually make it to maturity. The first obstacle begins as soon as the mother lays the eggs. Uh, as it's in the ground, it becomes uh, part of the menu for foxes and ants and other animals like that. And then if they are hatched, they've got to make it up and down the ruts left by the four-wheel drive vehicles on the, on the beaches. And, and there they become prey to a crab. Uh, if it meets a crab, it's bad news for the little turtle. Or if it's going along and a seagull uh, it should see the sea turtle, well, that's bad news for the sea turtle. And then if they make it past these obstacles, they get into the ocean. And there, there is literally... An ocean filled of fish larger than they that would love nothing better than to eat a little sea turtle. So one in a thousand will actually make it. And it's for this reason when I came across the sea turtle at night one time on the beach, I uh, saw it going the wrong direction. And I couldn't resist but get a cup of, of ocean water and put that little sea turtle in there. Just look at it. They're cute little things. You don't get to see this much. And, and I thought, you know... I don't know if I'm going to help or hurt it, but the chances of it already is pretty bad. So I'm just going to take it and deliver it into the ocean and just let it go. And I thought, you know what, that's kind of what, in some ways, what a church is to be for a new believer in Christ. To be that cup of just protection, of nourishment, of encouragement, that it can thrive and grow to be sent out into the world where it can do what believers are called to do. And there's a, a point where that ought to be. If the church can't do that, isn't doing that, something's wrong with the church. If that small group is not producing believers to follow and grow in their faith, help them to love and trust in God, something's wrong with that small group. And uh, it's for this reason, I believe, that Paul wrote what he did in Romans 14 and 15. It is for this reason why I've been teaching Romans 14 and 15 the last few days. I, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on our church. I, I, my goal is just to teach the scripture. And I believe that anyone that has a heart that rejoices and wants to know the truth of the word of God will rejoice in the things that we've been sharing, uh, even uh, if it may seem like we've got problems. But guess what, guys? <laughs> we do. <laughs> and I am not speaking uniquely to this church. I would preach this passage in any church because I think that any church, if they're honest, has problems. And it's not the absence of problems that makes a church good or bad. It is how that church deals with problems that makes a church healthy or unhealthy. So we can't be exempt from problems. This is how we deal with the problems that are there. And uh, and so that's why it's important to teach this passage. And I believe every church needs to take a wholehearted look at Romans 14 and 15 and how we deal with one another. Uh, you remember we've looked up to this point the last two to three weeks on, on how to deal with one another. How to love one another. Because the fact of the matter is in any church you will have people that disagree uh, on Personal convictions. There's an agreement on the major doctrines of salvation, who Christ is, what he's done for us, the role of salvation, the role of grace, uh, the role of faith, 
these are things that we understand that, that we all are deserving of of death because of our sin, that we need a Savior, that there is God in three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there is, uh, there should be some agreement on these major doctrines, but there will be other issues that do not pertain to our salvation that we will disagree on. And it's okay. We've learned in Scripture about personal convictions that when we're talking about that, we're not talking about areas where it's clearly stated in Scripture that you are to do and not do. For example, you could read, uh, I believe it's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, and you would read that there is to be a modesty, that it should uh, uh, mark the dress of men and women. Uh, and so consequently, you could say what well, Scripture says clearly, that modesty is a part of this. Uh, and so you could say, yeah, there is a dress that's too short uh, because of this passage. Uh, of modesty and why we dress as we do as we do but if you're to go on and say well you know what based on this i think that maybe we should not wear pants and, and wear long dresses i think at that point you've crossed a line because scripture doesn't state that you should wear dresses and not pants uh it has only given us the umbrella of modesty and to why we wear what we wear uh, and so when we're starting getting in that specific area, we have gone now into a matter of personal conviction. And we need to know how to deal with that. Uh, you may come across someone that only believes in wearing a dress and no pants. Uh, you may come across those who, who believe it's, uh, well, there's any number of things. Whether it's how you wear your hair, hair or not hair, or whether you wear jewelry, whether you wear anklets or bracelets or necklaces or earrings or no ring, nose rings or belly piercings or tattoos. And, and you guys will get more uncomfortable as we go. Uh, you know, there's a whole slew of things that you've got to ask yourselves, what does the scripture say? And we gave some good principles last week uh, in your bulletin, some things to think through in making these decisions. But how do you deal with someone that is different, that has a different personal conviction? Last week, uh, last two weeks, we've learned that the first thing we've got to do, if we want to be a church that's grace-filled, following Romans chapter 14 and 15, we've got to, one, respect and not revise personal convictions. Uh, it is our job to do that. We've got to refuse to be a stumbling block, understanding that uh, above everything, anything else, that we want to make sure that how we live our life, how we conduct ourselves, is an encouragement for someone to grow in faith and in love. And then we must recognize the value of every person. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is if we're not careful, we will love our personal conviction more than a person. And we've done great harm and our desire to glorify God and love God we've stopped loving someone else <laughs> and we've missed the heart and so we got to understand that we've got to love people more than personal convictions but also to to remain focused on what's really important and that's what we want to do in our church and our structure that we put in for us those things that unite us and make sure those are highlighted and emphasized are the main thrust of our attention we don't put in front of us and make highlighted those things that will divide us uh, for this reason, we have to be careful about what we vote on because by voting, we put a, a big emphasis on an issue. And uh, whatever we do in votes, we've got to make sure it's worth the disunity of our church. Uh, and there are very few things that actually do that. 
it is to encourage that harmony. And then is to refocus on edifying one another. That is our job, that we are to encourage someone, build them up, as we've read in Romans chapter 14 all the way through verse 19. Now, for this reason, we're going to start where we stopped and go to verse 20. And go from verse 20 all the way through chapter 15, verse 13. And it's okay to do that. Uh, I don't know if you realize, but uh, uh, God, when he wrote the text, did not include chapters. Uh, this was something man included later on. I think it was 15 uh, or 1205 uh, was when, I said 1205, 1205 years after Christ, that chapters were included in our text. And then it was in the early 1500s that verses were introduced. And, and so sometimes you come across a passage where the chapter divisions are probably not in the right place. And I think that we come across one such example here this morning. So let's uh, stand together as we read uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 20, and go all the way through chapter 15, verse 13. Do not... For the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. For whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us pass or please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not build himself or did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For what I was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore, I'll praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who rises to rule the Gentiles and him with the Gentiles hope. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You may be seated. Well, so far, he's teaching, what does it mean to love one another? As believers, that's to mark us, especially as we consider those who are outside of faith. But then he says, pay special attention to those who are of the household of faith. What does it mean to love a brother or sister in Christ? And you will be taxed when you join a church. You understand that? Uh, love is not an easy thing. It is uh, a challenge. And so expect to, when you join a church... That there will be moments and times when God will say, all right, Miss Faye or Miss Gloria or John, it's time to have love 101. I'm going to introduce Phil to you. 
<laughs> All right, I'm going to pick on Phil for a little bit. Uh, and uh, are you named the person, you know, and says, all right, uh, this person may or may not be easy to love. But chances are we learn by being around folks that are hard to love. And so when he has you in a church, it's to teach you how to love. Uh, and it will come across many times in these differences of convictions. So verse 20, verse 21, let's start there. First, I would have you understand that the next action that a grace-filled green pines will do is that they will recognize that liberty may be limited to help the weak. Recognize that liberty may be limited to help the weak. Now, verse 20 says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Now, you remember the context here is that uh, he was probably dealing with with folks who have come from a background of idolatry in which they would dedicate meat uh, to that idol. And so for that believer, that new believer that comes from that background, <clears throat> they may see that meat and think, I am not partaking of that meat because that's been offered to this idol. And it just brings back those thoughts and those memories. And if I do this, I feel like I am uh, again worshiping this idol. I do not want that meat. And then there are other believers who in learning of the scriptures would come to understand that, well, you know what? This meat doesn't belong to that idol. It actually belongs to God. It is of the Lord's. And therefore what the Lord has made, it is clean for us. And it is okay for us to eat. And so I have no qualms. Give me the steak. Let me cut into this thing, you know. And, and so that's the kind of view that's going on. But, but for that believer, that new believer has that idolatrous background. It becomes a major problem for them. And it hurts them and their conscience and what God's pricking in their hearts. So, verse 20, he says, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God, the work of God that's going on in this believer's life. Okay, God's working in their life, working in their conscience, and helping them to grow and get out of this life. But when they see you come along, chowing down on that steak, then they get troubled by that. All right, and so that's the context here that he's bringing out. He says, you know, just for the sake of food, it's not worth destroying the work of God. If God's willing to lay down his life for this believer, surely you can take down your fork and your knife and let go of that stake. All right. And that's the, the idea here. Uh, so everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Though, though you feel that it is okay to eat this, if you're hurting someone by doing it, it becomes wrong for you to do. Uh, it is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And I talked about uh, before that there, uh, uh, there are many of us who believe that drinking alcohol is not a good thing and is a wrong thing to do. Um, and uh, scripturally speaking, it does tell us do not be drunk with wine. But there are other believers that may say, well, you know, I read this passage here and I read other passages like it states in Matthew where Jesus says that everything that God's made is clean. There, <clears throat> therefore, it's okay for me to drink this wine as long as I'm not drunk. And, and there will be a difference of conviction. There is a difference of conviction already <coughs> that exists in this church uh, that, that continues to, to occur. So with that person, you just need to understand, you may think that, but you may get around someone that has come from an alcoholic background. And they hear this passage or they see you drinking this wine and it disturbs them greatly. And it could push them back into an alcoholic's direction and destroy the salvation work that's going on in that heart as well as destroy them uh, biologically. And so this is a kind of a case in point here that 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 we're looking at. And he says, look, 
recognize that liberty may be limited to help the weak person. Uh, you know, we talked about this with with dress. Some people, when they come to church, they believe that it is a form of worship and how they dress to wear their best and honor of God and glorify the Lord. And and there's others that says, you know what, that I don't believe that. I don't think that's a scriptural uh, back uh, teaching for me. The church is not a place. It's not a day. It is a community. It is an ongoing uh, understanding that we are the church, not just Sunday, Monday, but also Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that we are in the house of God everywhere we go. So consequently, I cannot possibly wear my best every day of the week. And so that is their scriptural background, backing for it. And it's their personal conviction. But you need to understand that it is not good for us to try to persuade one another into changing their view. All right. In fact, if I tell everyone, Let's not, let's not wear suits anymore. Let's not wear coats anymore. Let's just wear what you wear every day of the week. There can be a brother or sister that will be greatly discouraged by that because they are in their conscience knowing that this is not right for them to do. And so we, we will hurt that person uh, by doing that. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. Uh, so recognize that liberty may be limited to help the weak. Uh, that word says, as we read in verse 1 of chapter 15, that we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Notice that? Not to please ourselves. I wish I could say verse 1 over and over again. Church is not somewhere you go to please yourselves. Contrary to how church in America often operates. You know, you go to church, you pick out a church... Because you find the one that, that uh, has the best activities for your kids. That makes sure there's all kinds of events going on for your teenagers. That has all your needs met. And that church that best meets all your needs is the church for you. Welcome to consumer worship. Where it's all about you. You know. Uh, the thing is. Is that church is not about pleasing ourselves. Um, I know we have differences of opinion according to worship style. Uh, but I've mentioned before that this is, we, we have a blend, uh, and the point of it is that we will emphasize verse 1, that it's not about pleasing yourself. It is about preferring one another. I do not go to Dr. Boozer and say, uh, John, you know, let's change up the music style. This is what I would really like to hear this, this week. I, I don't do that. I, I don't give the, that, that uh, dictate the style. Uh, for the main reason that if I did that, I know that a good half of you would never come back. Uh, you would just hate it and you wouldn't come back. Uh, and it's not about me. It's just not about my style. And so I would ask you to do the same. Don't go to Dr. Boozer and say to him, we really need to be singing this style of worship. All right? Because it's not about what you prefer. It is about preferring one another and not pleasing ourselves. And so we're going to bear with someone. We're going to endure with someone. When someone wants to sing the old hymns, we're going to endure with them. Though that may not be our preference, we will worship the Lord with them. And we will endure with them when sometimes there is a, uh, a more contemporary up tempo or, or guitar, or electric guitar or drums or whatever it may be. We will endure with them because it is about preferring one another and not ourselves. Where do we get that? We, verse 1 is about not pleasing ourselves. You know, 
Martin Luther made a statement in, in his treatise on the freedom of a Christian mind. said that a Christian man is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. In my mind, I may know it's okay. It's okay for me to wear flip-flops and jeans to, uh, on Sunday morning. But I won't. Because I know that if I do that, there'll be some brother or sister here that won't hear a word I said. And, and they'll talk about the fact that I wore flip-flops and jeans and they'll miss it all together. So why, 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 I won't do that. Because I want to be a servant to you and make sure you get the message. And so I will be, I will be dutiful in that and subject to all in that regard. Okay? Now, I, I understood this when we, when we had children. Yeah, when we started having children, I, I don't, I, in fact, when I'm sitting in a chair, I enjoy leaning back on two legs. It just feels good. It's satisfying, you know. Uh, despite all that my mom told me and every teacher in school told me, I like to lean back on two legs, all right? Uh, and mainly because I know the point of no return, all right? I know to that point I can go and I can't go any further. Uh, but I have children that will watch me. And thinking, that looks kind of fun, Daddy. But the problem is, is they don't know the point of no return. And they'll go right past it. And then I'm in trouble with Mama. Uh, and so, what do I do? Well, I I keep all chair legs on the ground. All right? Uh, I remember as, as I was going to the beach, that when we first started having children, I, I would go out in the ocean, go in the water. And then I looked back and I saw my two-year-old little girl falling right where I was at. And I saw the same wave that made no dent whatsoever on me, did not push me whatsoever, come and knock her down. And I realized that I could go in places that have no qualms whatsoever that could kill my two-year-old little girl. You understand spiritually how that can happen? You can go places that you have no qualms whatsoever spiritually. You have no pangs in your conscience about it. And you have the freedom of the principles of Scripture in doing this. You can wear things. You can eat things. You can drink things. You can be engaged in activities. You can read things that this could be true for you. But for someone else, it could destroy them spiritually. And so as you get in greater influence in a church community, there'll be greater restrictions. For this reason, I've asked the deacons, the leaders of the church, you know what? I know that some of you may have had a tendency and a habit of drinking alcohol, but if you want to be a deacon, do so no more. Why? Because it is an issue of leadership, of not being that stumbling block for someone else. So we recognize that liberty may be limited to help the weak. As we keep on reading, we're going to resist the urge to force everyone to agree. We're going to resist the urge to force everyone to agree. I mean, it is a personal conviction. There's a point where you know you are thoroughly convinced this is what God wants you to do. And if you don't do it, it is a sin to you. And it is worship. That doesn't mean... That you are to persuade everybody to act and think exactly like you. They have a God. They have a shepherd. And God is in charge of that in their life. You notice in verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. 
In other words, that's who we strive to live for, to God. It's being acceptable to God and approved by man. In other words, the idea is that if I'm acceptable to God, the same God that was working in my life is also working in their lives and will help them to deal with you and understand you. And you, if you are acceptable to God, therefore will be approved by men as well in the community of faith. So, therefore, pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And so, understand this. In regards to school choice, um, it is a matter of personal conviction how you have your children schooled. Whether you have them in public school or a Christian school or a private school or some other choice of a charter school or whether you homeschool. Um, that's something Julie and I, we homeschool. It is, it is something where I don't see myself as the advocate for that necessarily. This is just something that God's called us to do and we are glad to do it and we see the benefits and that's just beautiful. And at the same time, I've got to make room for someone else that says, you know what, I think like God's got us in public school and it's okay. It's not my job to change their opinion or change their conviction because what happens if they do? Then they're doing it out of approval of the pastor and not approval of God. If I was to say to everyone here, I think that you are to worship God by how you dress, do your best, put on a coat and tie and wear a dress. The best you got. There will be some of you who do it. Not because you feel convicted by God. But because that is the opinion of a man. And you want to please that. Approve approve mankind. Are you worshiping God? No. In fact, you're doing the opposite. You're worshiping man. I've hurt you. I've led you astray. For it to be worship, it must be the product of God working in your heart. So for those of you who think, you know what? You don't have to do all that. Just wear your, wear your jeans. Get rid of that tie. Get rid of that coat. And you force them to do that? By your ridicule? By your opinions? They're not worshiping God anymore. They're hurt. They're struggling because of that. So resist, resist the urge to force everyone to agree. You know that, that same story of the baby turtles? One of the problems with the, with the baby turtles nowadays is, is they have a uh, inborn sense within them. God's just implanted within them an instinct to follow the greatest light. Normally, that leads them in a good direction toward the ocean. Uh, whether it's the moon at night or the sun by day. But the problem now is that there's these developments all along the way along the beach with these bright lights. And instead of tracking the sun and the moon, they follow the lesser lights. We need to make sure that folks are not drawn to us, the lesser lights. Our goal is to point them to Jesus Christ. Now, what if someone says to me and asks me their opinion, Pastor, should I get a nose ring? <laughs> I'll probably express my opinion, but what I really need to do is to say this. Have you prayed about that? Have you sought the counsel of the Lord? Have you read any scriptures about that? Do you have any kind of questions about that in your heart? The very fact that you're asking me 
Maybe you have some qualms about it already. I'm pointing them not to my opinion, but I'm pointing them to go to God, to go to Christ. When someone's asking, what should I wear on Sunday? What should I do this business on Sunday? What should I do? I want to point them to Christ. And let them see the bright light of the Spirit of God shining in their life. And do not, do not shine my own light and ask them to follow me, but to follow Christ. So resist the urge to force everyone to agree. But as we keep on reading, there's a, there's a third act that we are to do if we're going to be grace-filled green pines. And that is to indeed remain true to your personal convictions. Remain true to your personal convictions. Notice verse 14. He says, uh, it is unclean. The latter part, it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. In other words, if you have doubts about this activity, you shouldn't do it. If you think it's wrong, don't do it. Because if you gauge in it thinking it's wrong, you are doing wrong. He elaborates on that idea a little bit in verse 22 and 23. He says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Uh, be true to that. Blessed is the one who has no reason past judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In other words, if I have sensing uh, the, the conviction in my heart through my conscience of the Spirit of God working in my life that this is wrong and I should not engage in that, even if everyone in the church is in disagreement with me about it, I don't waver because it is what God is speaking to me about. I must be true. And if I gauge in that activity, I'm not doing it out of faith. Therefore, it becomes sin. You understand that? Everybody here could have their children in public school. But if you feel a conviction to have them in Christian schools, and you send them in public school, you've sinned. And vice versa, everyone here could have their kids in homeschool or Christian schools and you feel a conviction that it's okay and it's something God wants you to do to send them in public school, you better send them to public school. Don't follow the peer pressure because then you're making the approval of men more important than the approval of God. Music style, how you dress. We all look basically the same this morning. But you know, if someone has the clear conscience in their heart, and they've sought the Lord, and they said, you know what? I'm sporting a nose ring. Then great. Let them sport the nose ring. You know, that's something between them and the Lord. And as long as they've had the right attitude, and they sought the scriptures, they sought the word of God, then you've got to just rest with that. Because you're not their master. God is. But... If you don't sense that in your own heart, then you don't go to the local nose ring place and get a nose ring. All right? And we say that because we can laugh about that, but there's a lot of things we can't laugh about that are along those same directions. Now, remain true to your personal convictions. But also, as we keep on reading here, look at verse 17. We hit on this earlier. It says, For the kingdom of God... It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, these personal convictions should not mark the true essence of a church. Green Pines is not to be known for the place where it's traditional worship. 
Green Pines is not to be known for the place where it's contemporary worship. Green Pines is not to be known for the place where everyone dresses up or everyone dresses down. These are superficial things. It's not to be known for that. It is to be known for righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. In other words, there are many things that a church can focus on, but there are a few things that really should be the emphasis of the church. And it's elaborated on in just a little bit as we keep on reading. Skip on down to chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. Well, let me just read verse 3. So Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In other words, church is not about pleasing yourself, but about serving one another. Consider Christ. He's the example of Christ. And what he does in verse 3 is he just doesn't talk about Christ dying on the cross, but he literally quotes scripture. He quotes Isaiah 60, or Psalm 69, verse 9. It says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And then verse 4, he explains why he uses scripture. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Why do we have hope? It is found through scriptures. And that is why I preach verse by verse. And when we're finished with this series and I come back from Nepal, we're going to get into Hebrews and we're going to read it verse by verse. That's why we did Genesis verse by verse. That's why we're going to do Exodus on Wednesday nights verse by verse. Why? Because it is through Scripture that hope and encouragement can be found. So Paul alludes to that. Verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. This is a prayer he's praying. God, the God of endurance, the God of endurance, encouragement. Grant that you live in harmony with one another. Live in accord with Christ Jesus. Why? Verse 6. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to remember the main purpose of our existence. You see, there's something beautiful. There's something beautiful that takes place. When you've got a group over here, they think it's okay to wear whatever they want to on Sunday. And there's a group over here that thinks, you know, wearing only your best is, is should do. There's a group over here that worships, that says, you know what, let's, let's sing the songs that have been here for hundreds of years. Let's sing those songs. And there's a group over here that says, no, let's worship and use the new songs uh, that have been written for us in the style of up-tempo. And there's a group over here that says, you know what, let's, let's, let's make sure that, that there are, there are a different color. Let's have a blacks here and let's have Indians here and let's have Hispanics here and let's let's have all these different groups together and let's we have the ex-catholics over here and the ex-methodists over here and we've got all these folks from up north and from other parts of the world and and down south and we've got them all together and normally this would just tear up a group of people but it doesn't why because of all these things that are near and dear to a person's heart there is something Something even harder still. Something even stronger still. Something beating with every single heart of this, that group of, of diverse nationalities and, and ways of thinking. There's something that's just a thread throughout every single one of them that says, there is something greater than my worship style. There is something greater than my ethnic background. There's something greater with, with how I think church ought to work. And that is that we glorify God. Let me tell you, how is a healthy church represented? I think it's represented when it looks a little bit more like heaven. 
And you've got the groups of the Maasai jumping up and down, worshiping God in their languages. And you've got the groups from India and their varied colored outfits dancing and singing exuberantly in worship of the Lord with their, their own unique instruments. You've got the others in liturgical style and quiet, somber worship of God, thinking of the seriousness of God. And you've got all these worship styles coming together. I think then you've got a little glimpse of what heaven is to be like. And when our church better reflects that, Ah, then we're talking about a healthy church that glorifies God. There is a uniting thread. And it's not just how we do church. It's why we do church. It's that God gets the glory. How do we know when a church is successful? A church is successful when the church worship services are existing for glorifying God. We know it's successful when, when the Sunday school classes and the small group exist primarily. Weeding through all the social connections, but primarily beyond all the social connections, similarities, is this one idea. Let's glorify God. When the church nursery is there and they're going through all their safety policies and doing all that needs to be done, changing diapers and keeping children loved, but it's done for the purpose of bringing glory to God. When church committee meetings are meeting together. Having to deal with business matters of the church. And they got different ideas of how to do this. And what it ought to be done. And what looks good. But the idea behind it all is that let's glorify God. When we have our, our church evangelism. Our church efforts. Our church missions. All these exist for one ultimate thing. And that is to make much of the greatness of God. We will have exceeded Not when we are a friendly place. Certainly not when we're an unfriendly place. We know when we have succeeded. When the souls engaged with this community are just smitten, struck, strong in the heart with a desire to glorify God. When the children of their own accord will sing how great is our God. When the young people will love the glory of God more than the glory of sport, music, or fashion. When those engaged in their careers will pursue the glory of God more than the glory of their financial success. When our seniors, those old in life, will rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that is just over the horizon and they endure with grace the turmoil of of age that is a successful church smitten with the glory of God as you keep on reading we'll see there's one other activity not only do we recognize that liberty may be limited to help the weak, do we also resist the urge to force everyone to agree. Not only do we remain true to our personal convictions, we remain or remember the main purpose of our existence. And therefore, verse 7, chapter 15, we receive others as Christ received us. 
Because God is looking for a kaleidoscope of diverse ideas and diverse people worshiping, glorifying God. We welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I rejoice. I rejoice when we have the Africans that are coming here and they want to be a part. When we rejoice when we have the Hispanics and the others, Lord, that, that are here. If they can unite for school, why can they not unite for the glory of God? Why can that be? So... When someone comes in and they have a nose ring, navel pierce, and who knows what else. They've got their head shaved. They have tattoos. They come in with different race, different outfits, whatever it may be. And they have a peculiar habit of singing, kind of banging their head. (laughs) Or whooping and hollering or even saying amen. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. Because Christ welcomed me once. And I was a lot worse. And he welcomed you. Because our problem wasn't personal convictions. Our problem was that we were living for ourselves and worshiping ourselves. And God sent his son to die for you. See, God's calling us to be the fair maiden that will kiss the frog. The frog that's cursed by the wicked witch of sin. And somehow, in that kissing, in that embracing, in that receiving, God changes that one into a prince. Because there's a time in my life that I too was that frog sitting on the side. And God sent his messengers to embrace me. To share with me that God loves me. It is a sin for a church not to be welcoming. It is a sin for someone to come in these doors and to sit here among those of us who love God and saved by his grace and have been embraced by him. For them to leave here never to be welcomed. And I'm not just talking superficially to have someone talk to you. But to be invited to be part of their group of friends. That's just flat wrong. It is a sin. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You read verse 8 through 13 and he goes on to explain using the scriptures how Christ came and welcomed the Gentiles, those who were not Jews, So that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And that they might, in verse 12, in Christ have hope. Hope. That's what we deal in, guys. We dole out hope that comes from grace. And we say God will receive you. And so too we will receive you. There is hope for you to have a family. Not just for here and now, but for eternity. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Tony Kampala tells a story of a Jewish boy in a small Polish village. Him and the other Jews were rounded up by the Nazi SS troops and sentenced to death. He was forced to help dig a shallow ditch for a grave. And there with his family he faced the firing squad with his parents. Machine guns sprayed. Bodies fell in the ditch. They were covered by dirt. 
The boy was somehow miraculously spared and was missed, but splattered by the blood of his parents, and caked with dirt and blood. He pretended to be dead. The thin grave allowed just enough air to breathe, and several hours later, he crawled out and escaped. Being caked with dirt and blood, he started begging for the help from his neighbors. But all were too scared of the SS troops. Something inside of him seemed to guide him to say something very strange for a young Jewish boy. After a timid knock, he said, Don't you recognize me? I am the Jesus you say you love. After pause, a woman swept into his arms, kissed him, and cared him for him as one of his own. If you'll just not look at me for a second, look at someone around you. Just turn around, see somebody around you. You just need to understand that person that you looked at is the Jesus you say that you love. Too many times we're like the SS troopers. And too little times like the old lady with an embrace. For the grace of God given to us. Let's be vessels of grace. And so instill hope in someone's life. Let's pray.